This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good morning and welcome to GYC. Good uh, welcome in particular to this breakout session. It's a one-time only one-hour session that we're going to talk about original leadership this morning. And we'll talk in a couple of minutes about what that means and where that comes from and why that's important in terms of leadership. But by way of introduction, um, I will just let you know a little bit about who I am and um, why I am the person who's here. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I'm happy to talk with you about that. Uh, my name is Amy Shepard Ratsara, and I work as a lawyer in Michigan. Um, I have been involved with GYC since almost the beginning. I started attending many, many eons ago back in 2003. Um, and I was involved in GYC's leadership on the executive committee from 2008 until 2015, the last time that we were here in Louisville. I served as both the executive secretary of GYC as well as the general vice president, so helped lead this organization um, on the everyday level for about eight years um, and have since retired from that type of leadership but continue to serve on GYC's board of directors. So a lot of my leadership, though not all, comes from that experience. I also have a public campus ministry background. Is there anyone here who studies at or has studied at a secular university? I see a few in the, in the um, group here. So I also studied at Secular University at the University of Michigan. That's really where I got involved with ministry and where I learned a lot about leadership as well. So some of the things and examples we may be talking about will come from either that public campus ministry experience as well as from um, the experience here at GYC and other locations as well. Um, I'm very blessed that you all chose to spend this hour here. I hope that you find that it is a use, a good use of your time um, and that we will draw something together out of the Bible. Really, the majority of our time spent today is going to be in the form of a Bible study. Um, I can get going and I can get talking, but I may, there might be points when I'm asking for feedback and, or for, you know, just what do you think, kind of, and feel free to call it out. We are recording this session, so I'll probably just repeat whatever you say so that the recording captures it. Um, but I want this to be something that's interactive, that's informative, and for us to all just see how practical the Bible really can be in calling us about what it it means to be a leader. The last thing I'll say by means of introduction is, you know, we heard a lot of different seminars that were presenting and even other ones about leadership that were going on. Some were talking about how to execute certain methods of leadership. That's not what we're talking about in this seminar today. We're talking more about the leader themselves. What is it that has to happen in me, in my heart, and in my mind in order to be prepared to be a leader and the kind of leader that God is calling me to be? So I hope that this is something that each of you will find meaningful, that each of you will um, be encouraged because really all of us are called to be leaders in the different spheres of influence that we find ourselves. And um, God is able and ready and willing to equip each of us to fulfill those leadership roles. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we will open our Bibles. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us to GYC this year. We thank you for bringing us together this morning as this group to talk about leadership. 
to talk about the way that you have called each and every one of us to serve us, to serve you in particular ways. We pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to be with us now, Lord, that he would open our minds and enlighten our understanding of the scriptures. We pray that as we study together this morning, that we each will receive a conviction about where you're calling us to go in our own lives, about the ways you've called us to lead, and about how to do that in a way that brings you glory and honor. We thank you again so much, and we thank you for hearing this prayer and for answering it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing. Um, it may or may not be obvious to some people. I am six months pregnant right now with our second child. Um, and the only reason I bring that up is I've been noticing this is a problem at court, and I can tell it's already a problem here. I'm having a hard time getting deep breaths. I'm known for talking very fast, but talking fast with less lung capacity don't go well together. So if you hear me like breathing kind of heavy, I'm okay. I'm not having an asthma attack or anything. Um, bear with me. We're gonna get um, we're gonna get through it together, okay? So um, let me just send, and sorry if I look a little frantic, I just saw something that I've gotta go really quick. My kid is here and being watched by someone else, and so um, take care of that, and then they'll know that's done. Okay, so original leadership. What do we mean by original? What do we mean by leadership? And what does that have to do with anything or everything? So when I'm talking about original leadership, I'm not talking about the first person who was ever a leader. I'm not talking about the standard by which everybody must lead. That's not the different definitions of original that we're talking about. The definition that we're talking about is the type of leadership that's not dependent on other people's ideas, in that, um, that's inventive, that's unusual, that's particular to each and every one of us as particular individuals. And leadership is the action of leading a group of people, an organization, or even a social group. One of the things that we're going to learn as we study together today is that leadership is not necessarily confined to positions of leadership. Rather, leadership is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. And it's something that happens as a result of God working in each and every one of our hearts. So... We're going to be doing most of our study this morning in the book of Exodus. So if you have your paper Bibles with you, please pull them out. If you don't have paper Bibles with you, but you have a cell phone, please feel free to pull those cell phones out to pull up the Bible. Please try not to use them for anything else. I will do the same. And um, we're going to be studying the book of Exodus together this morning to see what it has to tell us about preparing individuals for the process of leadership. And in the course of this, I hope that we can answer several questions as we study this. One is, who is a leader? Do you have to be in a position of authority to lead? Um, what does character have to do with original leadership? Why do people avoid leadership situations or taking on leadership roles? And what does original leadership look like? 
As we go through this Bible study together, I also hope there will be a few occasions to share some personal experience um, with you in terms of leadership. And then if at the end anyone has any questions and we have time left over, um, we'll take those questions live in front of everyone. If we're out of seminar time but you still have questions, I'm happy to stay behind for a few minutes and talk with you. Um, at some point, there will be quite a few quotes I'll be referring to. And if you would like the references for those, I'm going to try to get them added to the Attendify app so that you can have access to those as well. So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 2. Now you may remember that in the book of Exodus, this is a turning point in the history of the children of God. That in the book of Genesis, we learned about creation, and then we learned about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all the rest of his brothers. And that they ended up at the end of the book of Genesis in the land of Egypt, but they were a favored people there because they were Joseph's people. But then we turn the page and we get to Exodus chapter 1. And in Exodus chapter 1, we see that there was a new pharaoh in the land. And he did not remember who Joseph was. And that a prejudice began to develop against the children of Israel. And that as a result of that prejudice, they began a program of extermination. That they were killing baby boys as they were born and throwing them into the Nile River. And that is the context that we get before we lead into Exodus chapter 2. And my question was, as I was studying this, is what is the origin story of a lawyer, of a lawyer, of a leader? Um, and again, origin sounds like that word original. It's not necessarily the same thing. But where do leaders come from? Do they have to have an incredible story, an incredible background to be able to grow up and become a leader one day? So let's turn to Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and let's talk about origin stories of leaders a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and read it, but please follow along. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, a baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and, go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. So we see this is the beginning of Moses's story. And isn't this often what we kind of think of the origin story of a leader? That it has to be kind of a crazy story, right? That, my goodness, his mom thought he was a beautiful child. And we'll get back to that in a second. 
that she had this sense that something was special about this baby. And so she was going to save him. So she put him in a basket and put that basket in the river. And he didn't die in the river. Instead, the princess of the entire nation, the superpower at that point, found him in the river, pulled him out. So this godly woman then gets to raise her son, and then he goes and he lives in the courts of Pharaoh. You know, we think origin stories like this are necessary, either on the one hand to be royalty. It's funny how, at least here in North America, in the United States, um, particularly Canada still has them, I guess, <laughs> um, but that we fought a revolution to get rid of having a monarchy, and now Americans are obsessed with the British monarchy, with the fact that I am born into power. I am born into leadership. I am born to be someone um, who is capable of showing people how to live. For some reason, we're fascinated with it because we got rid of it. Or, on the other hand, a story of struggle, a story of hardness that you have to have come from adverse situations. You know, we look, again, I'm a, in addition to being a lawyer, I'm a history nerd, um, loved to study history. And one of the people I think about is Abraham Lincoln, born poor in the backwaters of the United States, way in the early time of our history, that he pulled himself up from his bootstraps, self-educated himself, and ultimately became one of the greatest presidents that the United States ever had by saving the Union. So we think that we have to have these crazy stories to become a leader. Now, every mother, if you go back and you look in verse um, 2, Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, it says, So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We have one son already. My husband actually just joined us. He's sitting there on the other side of the room. Um, we're expecting another little boy. And we both told ourselves that we were going to be good and we were going to be realistic about what our son looked like when he was born. That, you know, newborns are not that cute. That they're kind of ugly. But ours, he was, you know, we would be honest about how he looked. And then look at this. He's not even one day old in that picture. And we're like, oh, our baby, he really is cute. This newborn, you know, he, he must really be beautiful. Because look at that. I mean, can you believe that? He was born with hair and everything. But you want to know the honest truth? That was a professional photographer at the hospital who took that picture of him. And when we brought him home, <laughs> like a newborn, <laughs> he did look like an alien. <laughs> but you know, the Bible actually confirms in Exodus, I'm sorry, in Hebrews 11, that, um, that Moses' mom was not wrong. He was a beautiful child. It's confirmed again later in Scripture. There was something about this mother that she knew there was something special about her son. So sometimes these origin stories, they seem to mislead us. They seem to make us think that, do I have to come from somewhere special to be a leader? No, not necessarily. But at the same time, those circumstances, whatever they may be that we're born into, can lead us to having certain convictions, can lead us to having certain experiences and influences in our life that are ultimately preparing us for the leader that God is calling us to be. And for each and every one of us, 
God has given us unique circumstances. He brought us into this world in unique circumstances. I was born in Illinois and raised in Michigan in Seventh-day Adventist communities and then went to a public university. Those were the circumstances that I was taken out of in order to become a leader. But that doesn't mean that you can't be a leader if you were born into a non-Adventist family. You came to the Lord through somebody teaching you about him, and now you feel God calling you to leadership. It doesn't mean that if you come from any different kind of circumstances that God can't use you. But those circumstances from which you came are something that God can use to inform your calling and your understanding of what he's going to do with your life. Now, another thing to touch on with this, our parents can often be a big source of influence on where we think our lives are going to go. And sometimes parents get a bad rap for this, you know, like, oh, my parents are only going to be happy if I become a doctor or if I become a lawyer or if I become, you know, an engineer or some other professional. Um, you know, they think that that's what's best for me. And honestly, sometimes parents do think that's what's best for you because they want you to have a comfortable life or a good life. Just because your parents want those kinds of things for you doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're right, and we'll get into more about the individual search for meaning and for understanding what God has called us to do as individuals. But know that parents can have a big influence in a positive way of understanding where God has called us to because they know what those earliest circumstances were. So if you have parents, especially godly parents, who are still a part of your lives and who are available to you, speak with them about what's been going on in your life. Speak with them about this call to leadership that you're sensing and talk with them about that and see where they will be able to help you. And if you don't have parents who fit that definition, that's okay. Look for mentors, look for friends who can give you that kind of feedback as well. Now, so this brings me kind of to a question. Are we born a leader? Yes and no, and we're going to get to that. So yes, we might be born into circumstances and with a calling that God has given us, but no, that doesn't mean that we're ready to do it just because of who we were born you know, to be. We're not born to be the king or queen of England. God molds us into the person that he needs us to be. So transitioning from this, I want to talk a little bit about what are some misconceptions of leadership? What are some ways that we get the ideas of leadership wrong? Now, again, from all of this, these experiences that I've had through working with campus ministry, through working with GYC, through working at work, um, I've read a lot of leadership books. Um, and some do have good information, some have interesting information, but at the end of the day, I think the Bible has been the best source for really learning about leadership. And um, I think that in many ways, we can be misled about what leadership is in the world. And um, and a misunderstanding that leadership is based on authority, that it's based on position, that it's based on on these types of things as opposed to it being based on who we are, who God is making us to be. So let's continue to read in, Je um, in Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 11 and going to verse 15. <clears throat> Let me take a drink of water. Now it came to pass in those days... When Moses was grown, 
that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So Moses, let's kind of analyze this about a bit. We talked earlier about how the feelings had turned in Egypt against the children of Israel, that they were now a group against whom there was prejudice, that there was a group against whom there were orders to exterminate the young people, the, the baby boys from them, to try to control the situation with them. Moses grew into adulthood at this point. He'd been raised by a godly mother who had instilled the principles of God in him. You can learn more about that going back and reading in the book of Patriarchs and Prophets about Moses. But then he also moved into the palace in Egypt, and he was raised to be a prince. He was raised under the daughter of Pharaoh to be a part of the leadership of this country. But he still had an affinity for his people, right? We see that that really had a strong impact on him, that he was able to go back and spend that time with his mother. And he identified these people, the Hebrew people, as his brethren. We know that's true by definition. I mean, he was born a Hebrew. But he didn't reject that early identity that he had, even though he had become a prince of Egypt. He accepted his identity as being Hebrew. He accepted that he was one of them. And he saw that there was oppression going on against these people. And he decided to do something about it. So what did he do about it? What did he do to this Egyptian? Yeah, he killed him. He used force against him, thinking that that was what he needed to do to take control of the situation. We're an oppressed people. In order to be, overcome this oppression, what we're going to need to do is take matters into our own hands, and I'm going to start that right now. I'm going to stop this Egyptian from beating this Hebrew, and I'm going to kill him. But what influence did that really have then with his people? What do we see that happens next? He sees two Hebrews arguing, and what does he try to do? Yeah, he tries to stop them. And they call him out, and they say, who are you? Who made you a leader over us? You're not in a position of leadership over us. You're not in charge of us. What are you going to do to us? Use the same force that you used against that Egyptian? And Moses realized that he had done wrong. And then Pharaoh hears what happened and is out to get Moses, and Moses runs away. Moses tried to lead in the way that he understood leadership to be. He thought that he had to use force. He thought that he had to use power. And in the course of trying to go about leadership in his own way, and the course of him trying to do things in the way that he assumed the world thought leaders were supposed to act, he ended up failing. His failure led to him running away and going into the wilderness for 40 years. Now, 
not all was wrong with Moses. I want you to keep your fingers here in Exodus, but to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great hall of faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. You know, and a lot of times we hear in talking about different leaders, whether they be business leaders or world leaders or other types of leaders that they have complex stories. They have complex histories. Being able to assess whether they're a good person or not can be complex because there's a lot going on here. And the fact of the matter is there's some truth to that. Sometimes I think we use that as a reason to excuse people too much. But let's take a look about what the Bible is saying about Moses here. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So let's look at this. He had just failed, right? But there was something he had done right. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't accept his princely identity. He accepted that he was a Hebrew. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That identity of who he was, where he came from, was important to him. And this is something that was counted to him as a right thing he did, even at this time in his life when he acted wrong. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured a seeing him who is invisible. And, you know, I do not believe that the Bible is engaging in some revisionist history here, saying that, oh, yeah, we said that he was bad, or the Bible said that he had messed up in Exodus chapter 2, but now that we're at Hebrews 11, we're glossing over the history books and making him look good. Rather, this shows us how God is using people and how things can continue to change, how our motives can be right, but when they are tainted with wrong understandings of how to go about doing things, that we can still end up in the wrong place. But God looks at our heart. He understands those motives and those desires that we have, and he wants to take us from that place where the motives are right to where then also the action is right as well. And so we see that he had some misconceptions of what leadership was. He thought he had to lead by force. He thought that it was going to be a military revolution that would take over. These issues can be complex, but they're not too complex for God. He can help us overcome and make us into the leaders he has called us to be. I'm going to share with you this quote now from the book Education, uh, page tw 62. And for any young person, I think that this book, if you have not read it yet, um, it is a fantastic resource for anyone who feels the call of God to be a leader in whatever your sphere may be. It may not be an official position or anything, but it talks about the power of true education, of character development, in order for us to be the type of people who glorify God in this world. So highly recommend it, one of my favorite books. Um, and this quote comes from page 62. Not yet was Moses prepared for his life work. He had not yet to learn the lesson of dependence upon divine power. He had mistaken God's purpose. It was his hope to deliver Israel by force of arms. For this he risked all and failed. In defeat and disappointment, he became a fugitive in exile in a strange land. He was defeated and he was disappointed because he had tried to do leadership in his own way. He had a misconception of what that leadership was. So let's 
kind of talk together and identify what are some of these areas of misconceptions of leadership. I've identified a few, but I would also love to hear if you have any others. So one of the main misconceptions, I have to be born a leader. I have to be born with a clear stamp on my face that I'm meant to be a leader. I have to be a naturally gifted public speaker. I have to have tons of experience before I can be a leader. I have to have a certain position for people to follow me. I have to be an extrovert. Are there any introverts here who feel like to be a leader that you really need to be extroverted? Yeah. I'm an introvert too, so I feel you. It seems like almost everyone else here is an extrovert today. <laughs> I have to use force, fear, or other methods of control in order to have people to follow me. I have to look a certain way or be from a certain ethnic group or be born a certain gender in order to be a leader. I have to be perfect. Being a leader means I'm worth something. Being a leader means I'm important. Being a leader means I'm powerful. These are all misconceptions that we bring to our understanding of what leadership is. And if we embrace that in the course of us following through with an area where we know God has called us, it can lead us to failure, just like it did to Moses. But it doesn't have to. Not when we are fully surrendered to God and understand how he develops character in us to become the kind of leaders. Are there any other misconceptions of leadership that you think people exhibit? Yes, go right ahead. Age, yes, that I have to be a certain age to be a leader. I'm not old enough, or in the case of GYC, I'm not young enough to be a leader anymore. Any other misconceptions people can think of? All right. Status, yes, that I have to be from a certain family or a certain socioeconomic group or a certain part of the country, a certain what? A certain degree, I have to have finished school in order to be a leader. Or, like in Silicon Valley, I have to have dropped out from Harvard or Stanford or something in order to lead a, you know, an awesome company that develops digital stuff we all get addicted to. <laughs> you know, all of these things can be misconceptions that we have about what it means to be a leader. Mm hmm Yes. Okay, very good question. So the question is if they could act as devil advocate, devil's advocate and saying, if I've indicated we're not born leaders, but in fact, when we look at Genesis in the creation account, when the Godhead is speaking about creating mankind, that one of the things says, let us make man in our image that they may have dominion over the earth. And so doesn't that mean we're all born to be leaders? And so I thought, oh, maybe I said this too fast, but yes, I believe we're all born to be leaders, but we're not because of the condition in which we were born as a result of the fall, as a result of sin, we need God's refining grace in each and every one of our lives to realize that leadership. But yes, each and every one of us are called to be a leader in whatever sphere we may find ourselves. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we continue to go on. But that was a fantastic question, so thank you. Now, in the meantime, what's going on with Moses? In the meantime... Um, in fact, the Bible had a really interesting term for it, and I didn't write it down in my notes. Let me see. We're still in Genesis chapter 2. 
in verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time, or sometimes you may have heard it says like, meanwhile, back at the ranch. In the meantime, what's going on with Moses during these 40 years? He ends up in Midian. He um, helps out these young women who are getting terrorized at a well as they're trying to water their flocks. And as a result of helping them out, he finds a new home, he finds a wife, he has a couple of kids, and he becomes a shepherd. He goes from having been a prince in one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful country in the world at that time, to being a humble shepherd, to spending time in nature, to taking in the glories of God all around him, to allowing God to cultivate who he was, to work on his character, to change him from that impulsive man who thought he needed to use force, to learning how to deal with simple animals who needed gentleness in order to guide them along the way. Moses was going through a transformation process during these 40 years in the wilderness. Referring back to the book of education, pages 63 and 64, Ellen White puts it this way. To Moses, faith was no guesswork. It was a reality. He believed that God ruled his life in particular, and in all its details, he acknowledged him. For strength to withstand every temptation, he trusted him. The great work assigned him he desired to make in the highest degree successful, and he placed his whole dependence upon divine power. He felt his need of help, asked for it, by faith grasped it, and in the assurance of sustaining strength, went forward." Such was the experience that Moses gained by his 40 years of training in the desert. To impart such an experience, infinite wisdom counted not the period too long or the price too great. 40 years sounds like a long time, right? Like, I'm not even 40 years old yet. So it still sounds, it doesn't sound as long as it used to, but it sounds like a long time to me. 40 years feels like a really long time. Yet we hear that no amount of time, no period is too long or price too great to secure that one-on-one -on -one time with God. That time where we get changed from the impulsive, natural, sinful people that we are to the person that God wants us to be. That time when we're partaking of the grace that God has for us to make us into people who are more like him. Now, this is an experience. I'm not saying that if you want to be a leader... You have to go now, and you have to move out into the mountains of Utah, and you have to hang out there with some sheep, and you have to stay there for 40 years so that by the next time you come, you have to pay the surp, you know, if the Lord's not come by, then you have to pay the surplus rate to attend GYC, because after 40 years, none of us will be young people anymore, right? That's not what I'm necessarily saying here. But has God called you at this point in your life to step away for a minute, to take some time to be reprogrammed, for lack of a better term, by him. You know, this was something that I experienced myself. Um, I indicated to you I went to a secular university for college, went to the University of Michigan, and I know still to this day with firm conviction that God led me there. I don't believe he leads all young people necessarily to go to secular universities. If you have questions about that, that's something I'm very happy to talk to you about afterward, about what counsel we receive from the Bible as well, the spirit of prophecy but I felt God calling me there to be a missionary. And even with that understanding that my calling to go to the secular, secular university to be a missionary, 
it still happens that you get influenced by the world around you. I lived in the dorms on campus. I took classes there at the university. I was a history major and a Spanish minor, exposed to all kinds of ideas in those classes, having to take science classes as well, being exposed to ideas there, being exposed to just different lifestyles and different ideas. And while I remained firm to God, committed to him, and engaged in ministry, those things do begin to have an impact on you. Just like with Moses, he was raised with his real mother, but then went into the palace of Egypt, became influenced there, and God needed to take him out for a while to reprogram to give him that better understanding. I came to the end of my undergrad experience, and um, I thought I was going to go to law school. And I started my applications, but I wasn't really getting any feedback from law schools. I wasn't, you know, things didn't seem to be going in that direction, and I just had the sense in my heart that God wasn't calling me to go to law school then. I thought maybe not law school at all or ever. And the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, I knew God was calling me to do something for him. Our student group held Bible studies every week on campus um, at my university. And early in the school year, my senior year, as I'm thinking about should I be starting these law school applications or not, um, one of the speaker who came in to share the Bible study with us that day made a call and said, I know that there's someone sitting here in this room today who needs to be a missionary next year. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, and I knew, oh, that's me. That's what God's calling me to do at this point. I, I'm not supposed to go to law school. I'm supposed to take some time off in service for him. So I spoke with this person. Um, he led the campus ministry program at the University of Michigan, which is now at Michigan State University. And I took a year off to be a missionary at a secular university campus. And at first, I really questioned, God, why are you doing this? <laughs> um, I've done campus ministry for the last four years as a student, which makes even more sense than as somebody from the outside coming in, because I'm in the classes. I'm leading the student group. Um, but I realized that I needed that time to be able to spend more time with God, that he was calling me closer to him, that I had plenty of time in the morning for good devotions, that I had wonderful classes that taught me more about the Bible and how to study the Bible and how to really have communion with God, that then I would go onto campus and share what I was learning from the scriptures with other people and see how that changed their lives as well. As a young person at, you know, 22 or 23, whatever I was back then, a year seemed like a long time. It seemed like it would set me back in the course of my professional journey. But I was willing at that point, because of the call I felt that God had, to sacrifice that time, and potentially even more. I thought that I wasn't going to, I really, really thought when I agreed to do this that I may never go to law school. But God called me there in order to prepare me for the next step of that journey that he was taking me on. And that year was not too much time spent. In fact, in hindsight now already, it's only been 10 years, I think, since I did that program, that a year now almost doesn't even seem like that much time. As young people, you know, a year, two years, three years can sound like a lot. But in the grand scheme of eternity, if that's the time God is calling you, in order for you to come closer to him, to prepare you for what the next leg of life may be. It is not too much time. So as you're here at GYC, I would encourage you to take that time in prayer. Listen to the calls that the different speakers are making for each of you. 
go to the exhibit booth area. See the different ministry opportunities that are presented to you. And see if God is calling you to just take a little bit of time from your life. To spend some time closer to him. To see where it is that he's calling you next. Let's turn to, or let's keep reading in Exodus chapter 2. Back in verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. God was not blind to the plight of his children in the country of Egypt. He knew that they were oppressed. He knew that they were persecuted. He knew Moses was his man to deal with that. But now was God's time to act in that situation. And now his man was ready for him to lead in that situation. But his man didn't think so. And that's the funny thing that can happen to us as we come closer to God that we don't even see in ourselves capable of being leaders. So that's what happens when we go to Exodus chapter 3. And in this section, we're going to look a little bit about what are some excuses people make from being leadership. How many people here have ever been asked to do something, whether it's something like teaching a Sabbath school class, leading a Sabbath school group or a student group, anything that, you know, whether it seemed small or on a grand scale, you were asked to do something, you're like, I really don't think I can do that. All right. Very good. So I see at least half of the people here. And for the other half, I think maybe it has also happened or it's going to happen. So let's talk about some of these excuses that we make when it comes to leadership, when we think that we're incapable of going through with um, what God has called us to do. So in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we see that um, God comes down. He, he makes his appearance to Moses in a grand way. He comes to him in the burning bush. He tells him this is holy ground. He has him take off his sandals. And um, he reminds him who he is. And he tells, starting in verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God is giving Moses a very clear call to leadership right now. You're going to go to this country where your people are being oppressed, and you're going to get them out of there now. And I'm going to send you, and I'm going to... Um, help you with doing this. Now, remember, when Moses was a younger man, before he went into the wilderness, this is what he wanted to do, right? He saw the Egyptians oppressing the Hebrews, and he tried to intervene. This is consistent with the call that God had laid on his heart, on his mother's heart even, from a very young age. And yet when the opportunity comes, does Moses jump at it? No. 
And if you don't know, that's all right. We're going to jump into it to see exactly what the Bible says about that. No, Moses is like, no, that's, that's not my thing anymore. Sometimes when you give up a dream that you thought you had, a call that you thought God placed on your heart, it doesn't mean that it's gone forever. When you give it up, you may think it is, and that's okay, but it may not be that it's forever. God may call you very back to that very thing that he had placed on your heart even as a very young child. Um, just like I indicated to you, I thought when I went to this missionary program that I may never go back to school. I thought that I was done. Um, if I did go back, maybe it would be something else, but that maybe my life was going to be a life of full-time ministry in the formal sense, working for the church or something like that. But during that year, I sensed God calling, no, you are going to go, and you're going to become a lawyer. You just needed this time with me. And um, as a result of that, the change was crazy. I started getting all kinds of recruitment letters and offers for free applications to apply to law school, and ultimately ended up the significant scholarship to go. I never retook the LSAT. I didn't take any more classes to change my GPA. There was nothing different about me on paper to have changed that. But it was the time and the place when God needed me to go after I had um, received that special time with him that really made all the difference in the world. And so if you're thinking about all of these things, you know, again, trust in God and see where he's going to lead you. And, and I promise you it will be a great journey. But anyway, let's get back to what these excuses are. Moses' first excuse, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, God? Who am I to lead? I'm not qualified to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. I, who am I to go? Well, we saw that other, besides the fact that God is calling him to do it, he had been raised in the courts of Egypt. He had experience with these people, but he was a Hebrew. He had an affinity for the suffering that the people went through. He was there, but that's not necessarily the answer that God gives him about who he is. In verse 12, God responds to this objection. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, isn't that funny? The sign that he's going to give him is after he finishes the job of bringing them out of Egypt. So here, here's how I'll let you know that what you were doing was right. After everything's over, here's the assurance that you'll receive. Um, but Moses' objection was, who am I to do this? We can have that objection too. Who am I? I'm not good enough to serve in that capacity. I'm not good enough to lead in this role. I'm not good enough to even make a difference on my floor in my dormitory. Who am I to do this thing that you've let, placed on my heart? But God says that that's not a legitimate objection. He says that he will be with us. So the next objection, verses 13, um, <laughs> uh, ver verses 13 through 22. We won't go through all of those verses, but starting in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So what is really Moses saying here? Does anyone have any idea? What, how, how else could we characterize this objection that he's making? Who, who, who is? Exactly, yes. Who are you to call me to this leadership position? Who, who are you? 
that's pretty audacious, don't you think? Especially when God is presenting himself to you in this magnificent way, speaking to you from a burning bush that's not being consumed by the fire. And you have the audacity to say, who are you, God, to call me to this position? But you know what? It's interesting as we go through, this isn't even the excuse that makes God mad. There's only one excuse that Moses gives that makes him angry. But this is not that. Instead, God reminds him who he is. Sometimes we can have that too when we're going through leadership. We sense God calling to us and we say, God, who, who are you? Why are you calling me to do something like this? But God reminds us who he is, that he is the great I am, that he is the God who founded the entire universe, that created the earth in six days, that made men in his image and gave them dominion over the earth. He reminds us of that and that his name means something. That is why it is so important to take that time every day in communion with God, in prayer, in Bible study, to know who he is and the authority he has over your life so that you can submit yourself to that and allow him to lead you where he would have you lead other people. The next objection, verse, um, in verses 4, or I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So after God gives him all of these reasons, saying how he's going to lead the people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, that he's going to use Moses to display the power of God, to bring people to an understanding of how mighty God really is. <laughs> Moses still has some objections. So in verse chapter 4, starting in verse 1, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. What is he really saying here? Any ideas? What's he saying here? That God doesn't have the power to speak through him. Very good. He's also saying that what if they don't believe me? Okay, so you say I'm a leader. You say you have the authority to lead me. But what if they don't believe that? What if they don't follow me? What's a leader without followers? You know, who, who am I to lead if there's nobody who's walking around? One of my friends, um, she has a Twitter account, and her description, all it says is, I just like the idea of having followers. You know, Again, a misconception about what leadership is. What, who am I to lead if no one will follow? But God gives him various signs for other people to be convinced that God is leading through him. He gives him these miraculous signs, throwing the rod down and it becoming a serpent, putting his hand in his cloak and it becoming leprous, turning the Nile into blood, and then kind of gives some idea of the other things that Moses is going to be doing in Egypt. All of these things he assures Moses he will do so that the people who he is to lead can have confidence in his leadership. In the same way, God can enable us. It may not be throwing a, a stick down that becomes a snake to give other people confidence that he's called us to lead, but in the fruits of our character, in the way that we interact with other people, in the excellence that we bring to our work, God can use those things to help bring other people the confidence to understand, I can follow this person because God is leading them. God is working in their life. And that is the most important thing when it comes to leadership. That the only people that we should be feel comfortable following ever 
are the people who we see God working in their lives. And we need to pray that each of us are those people as well, because again, God has called us each to leadership and has called us each to exert influence in his favor on other people. Turning to verses 10 through 12, Moses has yet another objection. <laughs> um, then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So being slow of speech has never been my problem. Um, as I indicated at the beginning, I can talk pretty fast, especially when I have my full lung capacity to breathe. <laughs> but um, we can use excuses like that. I don't have the skill that's necessary for a leader. I, I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. But God meets that objection right away, and he says, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. Whatever skills we think we may lack as a leader, whatever techniques or capabilities we think we may lack, God is able to step in and make that difference because he's the one who's made those capabilities and those possibilities. It's an opportunity for us to learn to lean on him. And now this last excuse, and this is the only excuse where we see God get angry with Moses. It starts in verse 13. But he said, he being Moses, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. What's Moses really saying there? <laughs> I don't want to do it. Anybody but me, please, Lord. Anybody but me. And in verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. God became upset because at the end of the day, the truth came out. Moses made all of these different excuses about why he didn't want to do this leadership role that God had called him to. But at the end of the day, it didn't come down to any of those excuses. The truth was he didn't want to do it. He wanted someone else to do it. But even that did not disqualify him in God's eyes. God gave him the support that he needed, not just through himself being God, but through his brother Aaron to lead these people. He gave him the signs that he would need to do, and he equipped him to be the leader that he needed him to be. We kind of talked about some of the misconceptions of leadership, and I think the flip side of the other coin are, what are these excuses that we make about not becoming a leader? I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too busy. I'm not experienced. I don't have all the answers. It's too hard. I've failed in the past so why would I lead now? We can come up with many excuses about why we shouldn't do that thing that God has laid on our heart, whether it's an official leadership position or whether it's a change that we feel God is calling us to make in the community that we're in, in the culture that we're in, in, the, um, in wherever we may be. 
But God does not need to worry about those excuses. He's going to help us overcome and enable us to do the thing that he has put in our heart. God didn't care about the things Moses didn't have or wasn't able to do. He cared that he was a man who was dedicated to him, whose character he could trust with the leadership of a nation. And I do want to just stop here and say this. Maybe instead of contemplating whether you need to go into a wilderness experience, you've sensed that you're coming out of a wilderness experience right now, that you really have gone through a big transformation by God's grace in who you are and the character that God has been developing in you. And an opportunity comes up, and it doesn't either seem right or it seems like that very thing that you had been taken away from when you began this character development process. Don't immediately reject it. Take some time to pray because maybe that experience you just went through was the preparation ground through which God was taking you to be prepared for this thing that you're called to now. I see we're running short on time. I had a number of quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy about um, leadership and the importance of character to that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have the organizers put that on the Attendify app. So if you go back hopefully later today um, or at some other point, you can go back to the seminar session and there should be a PDF there. But I will share just a couple of the shorter ones with you. Cling close to your Bible, for its sacred truths can purify, ennoble, and sanctify the soul. You must hold the truth and teach it as it is in Jesus, else it is no value to you. That's found in Christian Leadership, page 30. A high position does not give the character Christian virtues. The way to become great and noble is to be like Jesus, pure, holy, and undefiled. Christian Leadership, page 48. And then this last one from the book Education. This, is a, this should be familiar to some of you, but for some of you it may be the first time hearing it, and I hope that it speaks to you the way that it does to me. The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. But such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. So it's not based on who you were born to be or anything like that. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. That's found in Education, page 57. And this was Moses' experience. His leadership success was not based on the fact that he was born with a crazy origin story that ended up with him in a river and getting drawn out. It wasn't the result of the fact that he was adopted by the princess of the nation. It wasn't the result of his education as being a prince of Egypt. It was a result of that character that God developed in him in that time that he had to fulfill the call that he had on his life. And because of that self-discipline, that, that learning to subject himself completely to God and allowing God's grace to control his life, that he was able to serve God and to serve man. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is our last verse. Forty years later, Moses' life comes to an end. 
obituaries are something that can be inspiring, that can be interesting, that can be enlightening to learn about other people. And in many ways, this is the obituary of Moses in the Bible. And this is what the Bible has to say about him. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land, and by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Since then, in Israel, there was never a prophet like there was of Moses. Moses was an original leader. He was a unique leader. He was a, a, a leader who was inventive and different than anything that anyone ever saw before then and ever since afterward. Sorry, that was a jumbled sentence. But that was because God allowed him, he allowed God to use him in the way that God had called him. He allowed God to change his character, to be one that glorified God. When we each submit our own characters to God for that kind of formation, he can use us and who he made us to be to be original leaders too so that God can say there has never been another leader like a Bailey, like a Moses, like a Mary, like an Allison, like an Emery. God can call us to that individual type of leadership when we surrender ourselves to him. We're out of time for official questions. We'll close with prayer, but if you have any questions afterward, I'm happy to talk about them one-on-one. -on -one. And again, we'll try to get this information up on the app so that you can have access to the quotes in the Bible verses. But thank you all for attending, and let's pray. Dearest Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Bible, that it's not a glossed-over version of history but it shows us the real struggles, complexities of things that go on in real people's lives. That you took a person, Moses, who, yes, had the right ambitions and the right ideas about what you wanted him to do with his life, but went about it in the wrong way. That despite that failure, Lord, that you took him and that you molded him into the leader you needed him to be to lead your people home. In the same way, Lord, we ask that you would use each of us Create us to be the type of individuals you've called us to be, Lord, and use us in this most mighty task to help bring this gospel to the entire world, Lord, that we too may help lead your people home. Be with all the young people here. Help them as they continue to go to the rest of these breakout and seminar sessions and the meetings. May the Holy Spirit be speaking to them here, and may they be the leaders you've called them to be. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.